Mr. Vaccine. I'm Steve. And joining me today, a man who saw licorice pizza on the big screen and is now a virulent anti-Asian racist and a lecherous pedophile, Adam Myros. Oh, geez. I, I sure didn't think you were throwing to me, considering I'm probably <laughs> the only person who has not seen this movie. I mean, the other things are accurate enough, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Let the record show I've not seen licorice pizza. Uh, or uh, sexually abused any children, or I, I mean, you like Shang-Chi, right? Uh, I mean, it was all right. <laughs> how many, uh, well, how many times yeah. did you see Eternals in cinema, Adam? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have not been to the theater since, oh, the, wow. since this whole uh, global pandemic thing. Yeah. yeah. That's really not really showing your that's ass not, here. That's not really lifting up the Asian contingent, Adam. Yeah. That's, that's pretty depressing, man. Like I said, I didn't deny any of your other claims. I just said I did not see licorice pizza. <laughs> it's the only thing we could prove today. Well, and also joining us is a man whose uh, defense of Adam Myros' words and actions can only be matched by his love of HP brown sauce, Jack Eason. <laughs> this, this is all absolutely accurate. That's true. <laughs> Um, is that yeah, the best brown sauce? What's the I, best brown sauce? I don't know. Uh, I've never really been uh, much for the brown sauce. I don't know what even its equivalent is in, in the U.S. Does it have so the, one? Yeah, the U.S. equivalent would be like A1, I guess. Uh, except, okay, yeah. With the steak sauce. is huh. Yeah. I always thought it was brown. just like gravy. <laughs> no. No, it's not gravy. <laughs> Gravy's very just, different. Yeah, I think A1's a little more, I, I don't know, it's a little more spiced up. It doesn't do the exact same thing, but at the same time, if you made a sandwich with bacon and A1 sauce, it probably tastes just fine. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. There's just there's a lot yeah. of the brown sauces out there. I go to the international aisle at the grocery store. Do I get the regular? Do I get the fruity? There's a fruity one. What the fuck's that about? I don't know. Fruity brown sauce is getting yeah. dangerously close to some level of carry-on humor, frankly. Uh -huh. <laughs> I just no. I lean into you for these for knowledge of these things, Jack, and you consistently have failed me as a European. You, can, you consistently mistake me for a British person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, no, you, you don't. You don't have brown sauce in Ireland. Come on. I mean, it they, they do. Table. It's not. It's not really. It's not really a thing. No, in my household, growing up, we always had the worst ketchup in the world, like the cheapest. My mom would get like the it came in like a liter bottle, uh, and it was just the cheapest. It was and the, when it ran, ran low, she would dilute it. With oh, water God. to keep it going. <laughs> it's the worst shit in the world. Why would anyone need a liter bottle of ketchup? Because it was Christ. very cheap. It was very cheap and it was already quite watery before the dilution. Oh, it was... man. That's... Yeah. So, you know, that's an insight into, into the, the powers that forged me. So, yeah. The things people skimp on always, always amaze me. I mean, is ketchup, not expensive. Ketchup and milk were the two things we would, would dilute to, to keep going. Um, these are very <laughs> inexpensive things. A lot easier places to cut corners. That's how skim milk was invented. It was Jack's mom bought whole milk and then she decided to fucking water it down. That's a, you, yes, she did. Literally. She would she would buy the whole milk and yeah, by the end it would be skim. So I see my mom would do that shit, but she would do it. She she wouldn't do it with condiments. She would buy like cheap shit. Like she'd always get the hunts instead of the uh, you know, the Heinz uh for ketchup. But 
The only thing I remember her actually diluting and watering down was uh, like like cough medicine, like Robitussin or Dayquil or whatever the fuck. Like we get down to the end and be like, oh, not enough. So just <laughs> put some water in there, shake it up. Oh, look, more cough medicine for your children. Man, how much cough medicine were you guys going through? Was she just trying to knock you guys out? Yeah, I think I was just being <laughs> drugged consistently <laughs> through my childhood. I started the whole kids drinking cough syrup craze of the early 2000s. Nice. That's that's Making Steve's cool. legacy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh all right. Well, you know, believe it or not, we're we're not here to talk about robo tripping, although, you know, there's always a possibility for a, a Patreon bonus episode. Uh we are here because uh Devin Faraci ruined everything is is kind of the line that I'm taking here. Is that why and- we're here? I mean, sort of. So I, w- I want to take you back to a magical time, Jack. And by magical, I mean, it was, it was kind of fucking stupid, but it was all right. And this was the early to mid-2000s, okay? The year is 2005. Uh, Jack is, is in a sheep field in Ireland. Adam Myros and I are in, are in Michigan. And we are trying to educate ourselves in the world of European horror. And if you hop on the internet forums, which, you know, that's, that's how you did things back then. So, you know, imagine Twitter, except instead of a giant singular space where everyone screams at each other, it was more niche spaces where everyone would scream at each other. And, you know, there was, there was forums and then there were these like weird, basically like film blogs, but they were like actual fucking websites that you went to for information. So this is in the heydays of, like fucking badass digest and uh dread central and uh bloody disgusting.com where people like Devin Faraci and others operating under like weird pseudonyms like Mr. Creepy would tell you things like, oh, Dario Argeno's the greatest, but like just stop after opera. You can't af- once you get to opera, just fucking quit. It's opera and there's fucking nothing. Everything else is trash. Cuff, I mean, Farachi is a chud man. I, I, I oh, just yeah, chud, to, yeah. We got to make sure we, we really clarify that Farachi Yeah, he was also a badass digest man, but he's he was first and foremost, Devin Farachi's a fucking chud. Exactly. Don't ever forget that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Cinema Sangre himself. But <laughs> the point is, is, you know, to, to their credit here, Argento had a really incredible run that is in a lot of ways just sort of peerless for the Italian film industry. So, I mean, bring up the old IMDB and he starts off, you got Bird of the Crystal Plumage, you got Cat of Nine Tails. Uh, I don't actually have his IMDB page up, so I'm going to guess it's Four Flies on Grey Velvet after that. It oh, was it either loaded. that or it was the Five Days in Milan. The other Argento, yeah. no one talks about. <laughs> exactly. So then, five, five, yeah, Five Days is after that, which is his one departure from uh, horror, but it's it's like a, a revolutionary comedy, and not revolutionary is in groundbreaking. It's 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 fine. It's revolutionary. Is it's about a revolution. Um, but yeah, so Five Days underrated. No one's talking about it, but solid. Then he does Deep Red, Suspiria, uh, Inferno, Tenebre, Phenomena, Opera. And you've got this run from 1970 to 1987, about 10 films that are just like, holy shit, these are all fucking cool. And then you've got basically the rest of his career. So you, you have gone through only half of his filmography. 
And yet we have been told our entire lives, no, you stop at opera. That's, that's the rule. That's the Dario Argento rule. And we are here to say, maybe that's the shitty rule. <laughs> so here we are, late career Dario Argento. What has this motherfucker done in the 21st century? And is it truly a colossal waste of your time? And, and that's, that's why we have arrived. And I am happy to say, dude, 21st century Argento is fucking solid, right? Yeah, thus far, pr pretty good. I had a similar, I, 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 the only reason I know who Devin Faraci is is because people on Twitter keep make complaining about him, which is stupid, because if they didn't do that, I never would have even known about the man. But <laughs> somehow the, 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 the same story permeated. You're right. It's like opera is the cutoff point. No one talks about anything after that. And years ago, when I decided I was going to watch all of Argento's movies, you know, I braced myself, I got up to opera, and I was like, all right, I'm going to keep going, but, you know, got to lower my expectations, you know? And then each movie subsequently after that, I was like, well, that that wasn't that bad, or that was actually pretty good. And it just kept rolling on and on and on. And mm -hmm. revisiting for this, I haven't watched all of his later movies or revisited them all uh, since, but, I mean, God, he's we're up to, like, by, by the end of this podcast, we're up to, like, 2006 or so, and frankly, it's it's really not bad, so... Yeah, we're we're here to change mm -hmm. things up, get people on the on the 21st century Argento train. Yeah, all aboard, motherfuckers! And uh, <laughs> what better place to start than Sleepless, which is is it's really like a classic Argento setup too. It's it's a giallo film. Um, it's gory as shit, and somehow completely critically maligned despite being fun and interesting and having some of the best practical effects I've ever seen. I think it's got like a whopping 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and I, shit, I, just like reading these reviews are, it's hilarious. Just like, Oh, the once great Argento has truly disappointed us this time. <laughs> no, come on. What do man. you want from Fuck the you. thing? I guess I, I don't yeah, exactly. Like it, it looks, I, I was very surprised. I had not seen this one. I've seen a few of the later ones, but nothing we watched for this episode. Um, but man, if you watch Sleepless, like what the fuck do you expect? Like, yeah, first of it's all, an this Argento movie is, movie. yeah, it's, it's like pure Argento. It is, it's fucking fun. Um, it, it really feels like a classic movie. Like I, I think he could have taken this script and, and easily filmed it in, you know, the, the late 1970s, early 1980s, and it would have been right up there with, like, Tenebrae for one of his classic films. And it's just weird to, to like, go back and read 2002 reviews and discourse around this movie. Um, shit, speaking of Twitter people, Walter Chaw, uh, writing for Film Freak Central in, like, 2002, said, The entire exercise is a heartrending one, particularly for fans of the horror auteur, who held hopes that Sleepless would return Argento to form. To which well, I, mean, I say, maybe he never lost his form. <laughs> well, and sure. also, it's fucking good! What is? What do you <laughs> right, want like, from if, this? If you're a fan of like his classic work, then what the fuck's the hate about this movie? I, I mean, of the other two we watched, I could see that complaint. I might not necessarily agree with it, but this is... It's the same thing. <laughs> this if, is if anything, his, his movie. <laughs> yeah, if, if anything, my complaint about Sleepless or my reservation about Sleepless is that it feels at times like a bit of a retread 
of classic Argento. It, mm-hmm. It's a little, like, it doesn't have the budget. Clearly, the Italian film industry had, like, gone into decline. Argento was one of the only people who was big enough to still actually kind of be able to command money at all. Um, you know, it's it's not on the scale of Tenebre or Phenomena. Sure, he couldn't do that anymore. But, um, so it doesn't quite have the, like overarching crazy set pieces and camera movements and just like big grandstanding uh kind of like kind of camera movements and stuff that that defines some of his really great work but he actually does a really surprisingly good job of recreating a lot of those things or exploring similar modes in a much kind of smaller venue or smaller scale in this film and like you guys say it's it's really it, like got it's got every like it's it's it feels maybe I guess if you're gonna complain about it a little bit you could say yes it kind of goes back to a lot of the the kind of key Argento elements it's got the animal elements his first three films were known as like the animal trilogy because they all had like animal references within them animals imagery again forms a core part um you know you could say sure okay there's there's like a certain overlap maybe he's like he's playing it safe he's recreating what he was best known for but he's doing it very very well and it's not like 2001 was bit, like really well known for like you know it's not like we were awash in these kind of movies <laughs> so it's it's really like you say it's a really fun entertaining solid just very solid film i'm not going to claim it's the greatest argento ever it's an absolute lost classic but like this is really you could do a whole lot worse than this, even within Argento's filmography. And I think almost all of his movies are pretty good. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I th- it probably looks better than any American horror film from 2001. Oh, God, yeah. oh absolutely. What are, what are you comparing? That? Yeah, when people are like, oh, it's it's derivative. Yeah, it's, it's a victory lab for the guy. I'm not going to deny you that. But what are your alternatives at this point? Are you like, geez, I wish this looked more like 13 ghosts or uh, what, what's the, what's the weird early 2000s sequel to Silas of the Labs? Hannibal. I wish this was Hannibal. Uh, I'm trying to think of other movies in that era. I, I, I don't know, but point being, it's not like the early, like the early 2000s had a very different aesthetic for mainstream horror films that Argento is not fucking with here. And I think he kind of gets into it a little bit later, and we're going to talk about the card player, but this is not it. Like, this is this is absolutely classic. No, and you could hear the narrative, like, in some of these reviews where people are expecting a return to form and were disappointed, but what the, what's coded in that language is that they did not like the work he was doing in the 90s, which was not his traditional Jalo work. And so he came back... And he made the movie that he thought everyone wanted him to make. And they're still mm-hmm. griping about it, even though he did it fucking really well. This movie, it's interesting as an evolution of his 70s work. And especially, it, it does echo Tenebre a lot and Deep Red. Um, but yeah, it's stripped of a lot of that style. And that's a, a function of budget, I'm sure. But it also has like an mm-hmm. odd effect on the way the movie presents because like i'm sure that they didn't spend more on practical gore effects in this movie than they did in his elaborate productions of the 70s but it reads very differently like these effects stand out in a way that are very different from giallo because there's not 
neon red spurting everywhere. It's it's like it feels real. There are a couple effects shots in this where you're like, holy shit. <laughs> like I could believe they cut someone's fucking head off here. Like there it's yeah. just impressive at times. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a good. victory lap for Argento. It's it's a special victory lap for Sergio Stivaletti, the the FX guy. Who I mean, is very well established. He worked with a lot of the great Italian horror makers. But like this is the the effects work in this is ridiculous. Um, the intensity of some of the violence is really kind of jarring, and like twenty years later, it's still kind of jarring. And kind of makes Deep Red and, and those films and Suspiria's violence, which was always a bit kind of like uh, comical, cartoonish, fantastical, particularly Suspiria, you know, when they're like mm-hmm. stabbing directly into the heart. It's a very strange shot. Um, but yeah, it just makes those look very safe and normal and not particularly crazy at all. Um yeah, it's just, I wonder if the budget is part of it, that they were really, like, I just, I'm not sure if people, when they were complaining about it, it's not a return to form, or, like, it's not a return to the grandiose nature of his 70s work, which yeah, it's not it a isn't. return to, like, the bloated budgets of the 1970s Italian yeah. film industry. <laughs> it's, it's not a return to Dario Argento being handed blank checks by people because he was just king of the game you know uh, sure Mm -hmm. it's not gonna happen did they were were they sending him money what (laughs) were they expecting to have happen here uh you know it's it's pretty stripped down it's it's um you know pretty modest looking film but it hits all the the bases pretty well really um i suppose you could argue maybe that what differentiates this from his other work is that the the standout really is the specific incidences of violence rather than maybe the settings and the kind of staging of that violence, which I think mm-hmm. again comes down to the fact that he just wasn't able, like he just wasn't able to get like a, a full crane rig to like, just run around a house with like, which he'd previously done. You that's probably took a long time to do in Tenebre. He couldn't do that this time. So he had to focus in and kind of use it more wisely. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it works really, really well. And Sleepless is, I think, actually kind of a, a pretty solid starting point, I think, for, for Argento. I think you could sit into this and kind of, like, see a lot of what he did elsewhere. Um, it, it's kind of a fun, almost like Tenebre was bringing him into the 80s and the stylistic elements of that era, you know, bring Jalo in. As we know, Jalo didn't really survive in the 80s, certainly didn't thrive. It's kind of, you know had run its course to a certain degree this is going to bring it into the 2000s and it's it's mm-hmm. got those elements to it it's it's kind of like it's changing but it's still the core of it is solid and if you're if you're expressing grand dissatisfaction with it the question would have to be asked what did you like about the other stuff like what were, what was yeah. your your love of the classic stuff i i, I don't I, know i think that's a really good point too because sometimes i wonder if if the the just extremely visceral negative reaction to this film. If it comes from a place of sort of mythologizing what Dario Argento's best movies are and what they aren't, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, well, this, this is, this movie's silly. It's, it's about a killer called the dwarf killer. <laughs> <laughs> who was like, uh, like a hunchback murderer who they had to, you know, uh, who was shot dead 17 years ago and blah, blah, and all this other stuff. And it, it is, it's a silly premise, but also that's where Argento 
works best. Like there's all kinds of elements of, of his best films, like, you know, like Suspiria or God, Inferno. What, phenomena uh, ends with a phenomena, fucking monkey yeah. killing the murderer. <laughs> there, there, it's, it's there. Like look at any Dario Argento film and there's something like goofy or, or ropey about it. And that's fine. That's what it's about. It's, it's kind of this tension between, uh, you know, a, a well-crafted, tight, twisting story that's also pulpy as fuck and deathly serious in how it depicts grisly murders. So you kind of have this back and forth, and that's what makes it fun, and, and that's what makes it engaging. And to say, well, you know, this is just, it's silly that they're going after a dwarf man who murders <laughs> who may not even be a dwarf. Can you believe it? Yeah, yeah, I could fucking believe it because it's a Dario Argento movie and everything he makes is fucking weird. Right. It's like, do you have you fucking seen any Jalo? Like, what is? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Like, what draws you to these movies if you if you're turned off by like dumb dumb nonsense? Like, Jalo is fucking rooted in, like dime store novel nonsense. Like, it's all it's all simple and stupid uh, crime stories essentially. But um, yeah, I. It, to me, this reads like it's a very interesting in the context of his career because I, all I can think of as to why people might have been turned off by it is because what they enjoy about Argento films is that excess, the opulent sets, the, the color, everything is just mm -hmm. so kind of over the top in a way that the does not ever exist. <laughs> right, yeah, but... Look at this lush composition. It's interesting here to see what he does without that, though, because there are still, mm -hmm. like, some technical shots. Like, he might not have access to a crane for his whole shoot, but he still has a shot that's great, this tracking shot up in a, an apartment building, and yeah. this fucking tracking shot down a, a carpet that people are vacuuming. That sounds like that could be the most boring shot of the history of cinema, but not in Argento's hands. It's fucking glorious. <laughs> yeah, it's it, there, mm. there are. There's these, he, like, it's, you know, kind of like, it's a guy who just knows his stuff, and he's, yeah, he's working within a smaller set of parameters, but he still extracts an enormous amount of style and interest out of what he is working with. Also, um, I mean, we have Franco Farina is uh, coming back. Er, Farini is coming back. Like, scriptwriter comes in who's worked with him, like, right back in the 80s. Uh, the one thing that struck me, because I, I kind of geared up for this and watching some of his 90s work, so I watched, like, Trauma and Phantom of the Opera, the much maligned Phantom of the Opera, which is a bizarre movie. Um, but what, what was interesting about both of those in particular was that... Um, like, Trauma had a Pino Donaggio score because they didn't want Goblin, the iconic Dario Argento sound, Claudio Simonetti and his band. The, the US distributors didn't want that for, for Trauma. They were like, oh, that's a bit European, you know? And then Phantom of the Opera has an Ennio Morricone score, which, which is great, um, but kind of quite different to what you would expect. Sleepless opens up again. Claudio Simonetti is back, and it opens with this like heavy metal kind of throbbing guitar line, and it's just it's it brought just a smile to my face when it kicked in because it's like you immediately know you were watching a Dario Argento movie. So again, just utterly baffles me that people aren't you know that this film hasn't really been reclaimed at all. It's still a film that I don't really hear anyone bringing up and it's got max von Sydow doing you know as in the lead role uh there's there's much to enjoy here the storyline yeah. like Farini and argento storyline is like you say goofy as hell but it's got all the like classic 
Argento like twists and turns to it of you know are there is there more than one murderer you know what kind of like goofy little like all, all of his all of his films are like unlocked there's like just a key focal point that just shifts slightly somewhere in the narrative and then it reveals mm-hmm. everything you know it's got all of that stuff in proper order and it's really not any sillier or less assured than in any of his other films so it's it's really like this honestly check this out this is a really fun entertaining movie and if you're not like just gobsmacked by some of the sequences here uh, i would be surprised if if i was teaching a screenwriting course i would i would use this movie and i would wear a a black turtleneck and i would (laughs) say that the, the key to writing a compelling mystery is the central question is it a dwarf or was it a baby and that's what you have to ask yourself. <laughs> that's a great question. And that's what this is all about. <laughs> I also wonder if part of this was the, um, j- just like as a final thing about why people, you know, have issues with this. It's like, I do wonder like the Italian post-dub sinking sound thing. You know, th- uh, this movie, I watch it in English generally. So you get Max von Sydow's performance. Uh, but a lot of the other people are quite o- obviously dubbed, even though some of them I think are still speaking English. But I think they just like change the voices later on. Um, it's a, it's something that I think a lot of people find distracting. And I wonder if maybe they e- find it easier within the classical mode, like the 70s and 60s, where it was still being done in mm-hmm. a bunch of Italian movies, but they had more of a, like an aura of... This is film history, whereas a movie from 2001, I just wonder if maybe people found it to be quite distracting then. I don't know, but like, a different they, need, they need to get over themselves. Yeah, I any agree. gore hounds out there, uh, you're going to want to watch this fucking movie because, uh, it, man, it's like Savini level uh, effects. Like, there is some stuff that is just jaw dropping in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, a woman getting her face smashed against a marble wall has never looked so good it's yeah the the gore effects are incredible this is this is like top tier practical effects like some of the best of all time i still don't understand that i I still have not cracked that fucking decapitation there's this decapitation of a ballerina and you're you're expecting it to almost be a dummy head it's got to be like some sort of mirror trick but it's seamless man like this head flies off and it's like i think it's still articulation it looks, if it, it looks is animatronic, animatronic to me, then it is it is fucking great animatronics. Like yeah, I, 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 I thought it was mirrored because it I looks think, like natural. I, I think there might be a cut just as the head is hitting the ground, so that they didn't have to like drop the animatronic, so they just had to roll it. I think there might be. I didn't look through it very closely. Yeah, if they got that animatronic on this shoestring budget, man, I, again, this the work that is done on the effects for this movie is mm. just unbelievable because that yeah it looks shockingly realistic it's I'm, got those amazing special effects it's got the the head against the wall which is a clear deep red nod but it's much more intense than what deep red had at the time it's mm-hmm. got a great one of my favorite things and it is early on we have a, a prostitute who's being chased on a train and it's honestly a pretty a pretty solid just tense set piece that she's inadvertently realized that she has just been with a killer and taken something from him and that he might be chasing her and at one point she there's like this rubber casing that joins two carriages of the train and she's trying she's running away and she just like slots herself into this rubber casing and then peers out through it and it's like recreating that like 
famous vaginal kind of like uh, image from Tenebre where the woman is holding a piece of cloth and someone slashes it so her face is visible through this this like open part um like it's it's very self-aware it's very clearly saying like I'm Dario Argento remember me uh, but also feels very fresh honestly you know everything else has changed around it but it's kind of like 2001 and Argento can still bring the goods so you know this this seems to me like a a film that is rife for kind of kind of rediscovery and championing um yeah i just i don't understand what has pushed people away from this yeah i, I again there's just the headshot at the end is a fucking glorious thing too and oh, this geez, yeah this flashback that they keep cutting back to where our main character is seeing his mother get killed with this fucking oboe and just again the effects are like wow god in heaven. Oh, a weird weird point about this too okay so so about that murder with the oboe there's a piece of conversation this that kind of confused me uh, where, where I think it's Max von Sado says uh, the murder happened underneath the stairs and the guy he's talking to said yes just in front of the cellar door and I just thought like 2001 was it was with Donnie Darko it was a big year for cellar door cinema <laughs> I don't know if that means anything but it's just sort of strange that that was in there exact same year so there you go do double buildies just just go for it why not what's Thanks. the worst that can happen just but, don't watch that director's the director's cut uh, oh god no <laughs> <laughs> oh my god all right well after this uh wouldn't you know dario's budget got cut a little bit more and uh <laughs> in 2004 he said you know what let's, let's keep the giallo train rolling but uh you know I, I get a little less money and people are gonna hate me a little bit more but i'm going to embrace the early 2000s aesthetic with some uh, pulse-pounding EDM on the soundtrack, and this is how we ended up with The Card Player, which is also a movie that I probably saw, fuck, like 15 years ago or longer, and thought it was shit. But my God, revisiting it now, I, I'm not going to say it's it's on the level of Sleepless or not. it's not a great film by any stretch, but it's fucking fun. <laughs> Yeah, you did notice who did the pulse-pounding uh, pulse EDM, by the way. It is, is once again, Claudio Simonetti. Yeah! Their man, the he's, he's the guy. Very uh, out of character, as is this movie for, for both men, I would say, in general. It's, yeah, it's, it's uh, I'm in the same boat as Steve. When I first saw this uh, years ago, I thought this was maybe my least favorite Argento movie. It really just didn't click for me at all. And looking at it now, it's um, I really had a great time with it. It's got a lot of a lot of fun elements within it. Not least of all, I guess, seeing it, uh, our vision of two thousand and five internet. You know what what is the internet for? What it will be capable of? Uh, you know those those, te those tensions in two thousand and five that look absolutely absurd now, uh, but were you know real conversations people were having back then. It's like, could you do serial killing over the web? <laughs> and it's like, no, not really, but fair enough. I mean, I guess you get the Craigslist killer, but the very different. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a uh, again, it's got all the classic pieces. It's kind of an unusual Argento, as Adam points out. There's a couple of things that are interesting about it. First of all, it actually involves police officers uh, chasing a killer, which is 
pretty unusual. Sleepless does have maximum side hours, a police officer, but he actually doesn't crack the case. Um, no. He's just there. And for the most part, Argento is always focused on amateur sleuths, people who are mm-hmm. outside of law enforcement who get roped in partially through their own uh, nosiness slash uh, sense of responsibility slash horniness uh, generally well, keeps them in the mi- mix. To be fair, this this one it it does have a semi outsider, but he's still he's still a fucking cop because it's got uh, Liam Cunningham, who you would probably know from Game of Thrones as a uh, Sir Davos, but he uh, yeah he's like a a British cop who is also very Irish whose daughter is killed right and then and no. then he he just comes barreling in he kills a child in like a raid or something and yeah he yeah that's what it. he does yeah okay. no he's he's an irish guy who's worked with british police for like 20 years and i think he's there like interpol related or something and they like yeah. he's given this junk assignment in italy and he's mm-hmm. an alcoholic because of course he is so he he's is. like yeah so he's like the rogue cop but he also he specializes in forensics which makes me wonder why the hell he's out shooting people but anyway i love the way that that argento writes irishman too because (laughs) there's a scene where it's just like liam cunningham gets fall down drunk and sings danny boy and then falls asleep in his bed with all of his clothes on that's (laughs) that's that's just tuesday night steve Well, yeah, that, that, clashes, it, that clashes with one of my favorite Italianisms within the film, which is where they go to a CD bar and the guy at the bar is drinking an espresso. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> not what I was expecting him to have in his hand at the time. So, yeah, that's very, right. very different, beautiful culture. But, um, <laughs> yeah, this 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 movie has... It's, this, the plot essentially is about a serial killer who is kidnapping women and then forcing the police to play online poker to you know for the woman's life it's every bit as dumb as that sounds the poker elements in this are asinine i mean it's it's concept of like explaining the game to you and the version they're even yeah. playing is basically they on they may as well play blackjack or just a high card draw or something like it's it's nonsensical it's really weird you know you think that dario would at least embrace uh the popularity of texas hold'em but no that's not the case this is <laughs> too this much is animation I, I was watching it. I was like, fuck, I don't even know like what this, this is like fucking smooth brain baby poker. Yeah. That's what you <laughs> learn when you're like a small child. It's fucking five card draw. <laughs> yeah. This is Dario Argento. Like he, he Googled like, how does, how does poker work? And this is the first thing that came up <laughs> and it's great too, because there's this whole like uh, kind of side plot thing about how uh, the lead detective, her, uh, that that's you know palling right. around with Liam Cunningham. Her dad was a poker player and gifted her this book. It's like how to be the best poker man possible. <laughs> I love the idea of like unsettling your opponent, where basically you hold X number of cards and the next draw wins or lose. Like it's, it's it, it literally it's blackjack poker. Yeah, it's it's, it's amazing just pure because look, it was like Texas Hold'em got really popular. I would say around two thousand two, two thousand three as a televised thing because there is like this inherent tension because you can see the majority of the cards that the players are, are basically sharing. Uh, and this movie is absent any of that because it's, it's five card draw and there is no inherent tension. It's just like bizarre choice. This also is weirdly a sequel kind of to the Stendhal syndrome. Uh, I don't think, I, I don't think they, 
I, I'm guessing was originally intended to actually be a sequel, but the uh, the lead detective is the same. It's named Anna Maria. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that just happened or if she was. It's intended to be the same person. Somewhat unclear. They don't. There's no references or internal connections beyond that. But um, the, yeah, the the film has uh, you know, these kind of elements. It, this one certainly more than Sleepless. Sleepless, I would say, is like it's your classic Argento in a lot of ways. It's yes, yeah, it's a different decade, a little different feel. But you know, this is if you watch this, you understand what an Argento movie is. The card player is much more. I think you have to get on with early aughts movie aesthetics and kind of enjoy those to really get into this movie. Uh, which mm-hmm. I kind of can now, somewhat. Uh, I would still say uh, the aforementioned 13 Ghosts by Steve may be one of the worst films I've ever seen. The early <laughs> aughts was a dark time for cinema. Uh, Can't the, wait to do an early aughts horror podcast. Oh, Jesus. With you, Jack. The, yeah, no, there was just absolutely, like, just awful, awful. Like not just, like the scripts weren't any worse than a lot of these other movies, but just they just they got digital editing. They realized they could just like splice in shit everywhere, like in the same amount of time it would take to edit a film normally. So there's just there's so much editing and just loud noises with all those edits. The early two thousand was terrible. Um, Dario Argento doesn't really do all of that, but there is a lot of the kind of like the look and the feel of that, and the I guess the nascent technology element is clear in this as well you know this is around the time like fear.com and films like that they were like you know questioning and pulse the 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 very good japanese movie and they not at all good american remake you know that was questioning could the internet kill you um maybe (laughs) dude fear.com rocks and let me tell you why uh not because it's a good movie because it isn't but uh you would think that for the movie they would buy the domain fear (laughs) com. However, they did not. The website (laughs) for fear.com is fear.com spelled out fear, D-O-T-C-O-M, fear.com.com. That's the fear.com website. So really Uh, great, powerful stuff here. Yeah, this probably has a budget closer to something like uh, fucking D. Snyder's Strangeland, but... (laughs) I don't know. Or an episode of CSI Miami. Yeah, and it looks that way. This is, and I don't dislike this movie. I had fun with it. It's just, it is very much, it's barely a horror movie. It's basically like a uh, like a dad tech thriller. Like, mm-hmm. it, it could be like, <laughs> if it was like based on girl with a dragon tattoo, I'd be like, yep, that checks out. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, this is the only of the three where... If you sat me down and lopped the credits off the beginning and the end and had me watch through the whole thing, I would under no circumstances be able to guess who directed <laughs> Yeah. There's th- there's one moment where I think you can be like, okay, uh, this is this is Dario Argento. And it's the part where uh, Anna, Anna Maria, the detective, is <clears throat> in, her de- in her apartment. Yeah. And she sees the reflection of the, the guy that's kind of like stalking her in in like a, a, a vase basically and there's this beautiful sequence of, of shots and then this great kind of chase around her apartment and it's really wonderful and it's almost like Dario Argento's kind of sleepwalking through this and he goes okay let me let me do my thing real quick and he uses this as his like central set piece to show off and that sequence is fucking fantastic the rest oh, of the movie is amazing the rest of the movie is an episode of CSI that's just kind of dropped <laughs> yeah, out that of 
And so, so basically you have three things happening. You have, you have that sequence, which is just fucking gorgeous, incredible, brilliant. You've got the CSI shit. And then you've got the goofy humor, which is, oh, look, here's a corpse that we found floating in the water. That's going to vomit all over <laughs> Liam Cunningham's face. And then you've got uh, Louise Moltini, who plays this uh, like person working at the morgue. And he's just dancing around and singing like he's John Leguizamo and fucking Spawn or something. I have that. I have that in my notes. Tap dancing mortician, and he also sings. <laughs> just cause it's bizarre, like some sort of surrealist element, like you'd see in a fucking Bellatar movie of the time or something. Yeah. But it's it's not like anything Argento ever does. It's such a weird character for an no, Argento. No, it's yeah. super fucking weird. All the comedy stuff here is weird as shit. I think a lot of the film works more in, like, like what's interesting in the film, there, there are some interesting elements. Like, I kind of liked the, you know, once you once you just kind of get over all of the the technical drawbacks of this online poker game with web streaming of the the girl and and like they never clarify it's like in fact if funnily enough like early on they're like we know he's not cheating because of a complicated reason we can't explain and then later on in the movie it's revealed he actually was cheating that's like a whole thing <laughs> and it's like okay this is not very well put together but what is interesting i think is there there is a question that i, I thought was interesting was like are the police excited to play the game? And we say it's unusual because this is a film where the police actually take center stage in an Argento movie in the investigation, yeah. which is not typical. And uh, honestly, in Giallo, a lot of the time, the police are not... On, Italian cinema generally has a very odd relationship with the police, kind of like Hong Kong cinema, actually, where where they love cops and robbers movies. They love, you know, the action quotient of having the good guys and the bad guys, but they also love mayhem and insane violence so much that the cops invariably end up looking like psychopaths themselves in all of their movies. And I and it's difficult often to gauge how much of that is intentional. I think and I think a lot of it is, as in Hong Kong cinema in the eighties and nineties, is actually that they don't actually hold cops in very high esteem at all. They actually think they mostly are just a bunch of quasi-fascists running around shooting anything that moves and then getting drunk later. Um, so so there is that kind of tension within this of, you know, how much are, are the cops invested in the game? Do they, you know, are, are they excited in, in the stakes for it? They're sort of like, they're, they're, uh, they refuse to participate at first. The police officer makes a call and the girl gets killed by default. There's kind of like some interesting tensions within the the film but they're not really teased out particularly because then it really just centers down to the one good lady cop and the drunken irish guy uh which frankly argenta should put more drunken irish guys in this movie i think they 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 help everything who doesn't love a drunken <laughs> irish guy in their movie um but yeah there, there's kind of like these uh you know kind of like tensions in the the narrative that they kind of identified i think but they can't really extrapolate them and they also can't really extrapolate like you say, the production details, like they, even more so than Sleepless, it's stripped down in terms of the technical elements of the film. But it still moves pretty well. It's still paced quite well. It's still, I think, visually interesting throughout. So it, it's kind of like, it, it still works. Although certainly, you know, I would say Sleepless wouldn't be an awful place to even start with Argento. Uh, you'd have much better ahead of you, but it, it would kind of give you a a template 
this is very much, I think, just for the Argento completist, who I think will still find a lot of, of positives and entertaining elements within it. But it is not, mm-hmm. it, this is not like a, a quote-unquote Argento film, really. It's, it's something kind of interesting that I think was just happening around 2005 that Argento was able to get in on. Yeah, they took all his track uh, track away. He wasn't fucking. There's no elaborate <laughs> shots in this movie. No, there's there's none. It's it's got a real workmanlike approach. Uh, however, I I gotta say there's there's some little flourishes here that I really appreciate. And my favorite thing is there is this extremely dated like you can pinpoint that this was made in like 2003 2004 uh, EDM soundtrack. And the best part is is it's fucking diegetic like it's in the movie so (laughs) the final sequence because if if the premise of playing goofy video poker to possibly save the life of a woman who has been captured by a serial killer is not silly enough then that same guy because he's constantly chasing that next high that next thrill he handcuffs himself to some railroad tracks (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> next to the lead detective and forces her to play poker with him uh, while they're both handcuffed to the railroad tracks with a train coming. But before he does that, in his SUV, he's got the soundtrack to the film, which is <laughs> blasting. <laughs> and it is made abundantly clear that, like, yes, this is where the music is coming from. And it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, he's just got it on the CD, just the card player yeah. OST that he pops on. I love that because because it fits, they, they psychologically profile the killer earlier in the film, and they're like, he's a risk taker. And this all fits in with how, you know, that he 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 wants an equal challenge with the, the cop so he can prove he's better, etc. Um, but what really confused me is at one point in that profile, they suggest the killer was educated in the US. They never explain why that's apparent. No. Um, so, so yeah, there, there's one of the things, actually, just one thing I do want to say, like my favorite thing, I think, in the movie, which I thought was really funny and and honestly kind of Argento-esque. We have weird things like the tap dancing mortician, you know, who like Adam says, like a Bellatar, like a Fellini character, just like, what the hell is happening here? But uh, there's one scene where they're, they're playing online poker for a girl's life and the girl uh, gets, the girl escapes and then she gets, she escapes on webcam and they're all like, oh, come on, get away, you know, help us out or whatever. And they're, you know, the police, ironically, are all paralyzed. They're sitting in a room miles away. They don't know what's happening. And she doesn't escape. She gets killed. And um, they have a guy, a police officer, videoing the game unfolding. Like he's standing behind the computer just videoing it, I guess, because they, they can't record the live feed from the computer for whatever reason. That just wasn't a thing you could do in 2005. But after she gets killed, he just starts swinging the camera and the room, looking for like reaction shots of the other cops, realizing the girl is dead. Which I just think, if Dario Argento were in that situation, like if you gave Dario Argento a camera and told him to go to a crime scene, that's what he would do. He would just end up like looking at other people, like, what do they make of this? What's happening? It was just like a really funny, random interlude. And it just quietly just happens in the scene. No one remarks upon it. So uh, that's mm-hmm. that's probably my favorite part of the card player. Frankly, I, I think maybe I I don't know my my favorite and least favorite part of the card player. I mean, easily the apartment <laughs> scene is the standout thing in sure. this film. But but the ending is so slapdash that it is like almost incredible. Like 
this whole fucking conceit of the train track poker game and he even though they've made the catastrophically poor decision to go with a, a five card draw uh he still <laughs> manages to wring a little tension out of these card games with the serial killer throughout the film and that's entirely gone in this train sequence like the, the, the it's never focused on the game that they're playing you never know what the fuck's even happening it's just such a goddamn mess and then it just kind of <laughs> ends i i mean uh, and then uh, it also ends after that where the killer is of course killed by a train uh there is a, an additional scene tacked on that plays over the credits where someone calls the, the our main detective and just says uh you're pregnant <laughs> and that's the end of the movie it's so that's funny the, yeah. and then it's just like boom credits roll Le- liam cunningham <laughs> lives on everyone drunken yeah. irish guy she'll she'll be born again in the next generation <laughs> i i love the i love the finale as well because it's like she has this book about poker that her dad gave her which means that unbeknownst to her she actually has an incredible familial insight into poker apparently and basically the way that manifests is that at a certain point while they're both chained to train tracks they both get like royal flushes but one is better somehow i guess it must be straight flushes. i think they say royal flush in the commentary but to my understanding there's only one royal flush yeah and that's like the, the best card you, or the <laughs> which best is the hand ultimate you get, right yeah and, that's the ultimate hand but she's like it's you know the one with the higher card wins so i think they must have been talking about something else but i think they they say royal flush but like basically that that's what comes in is like that the book tells her try and distract him so he doesn't know how to bet even though there's no betting at this point they're both chained to a track it's not like there's any money at stake uh, like he's gonna forget which card of five not to hold on to, which is just absurd. And and then at the end of it, she like knows the rules of poker better to know who wins. It's just like such an absurd insight into poker. It reminds me a little bit of like Casino Royale, which went like the the James Bond movie, which goes the other way, which is that it has a huge card set piece. Um. And then it has, like, it keeps just cutting to some guy explaining the rules, which is kind of annoying because, like, you could probably work it out. And if you can't work it out, you really could do some research on your own. But within the movie, it's this kind of goofy that all these people are in, you know, it have found themselves in a position where they're gambling with millions of dollars of the government's money. And some of them are still explaining the basic rules of, like, of, of cards to them. But this is like the flip side of it. It's just like, there's a card game and we couldn't give a shit about it. And that's, and that's the movie. Yeah, they're explaining the, the rules. Card player. And I think that they very well may be explaining the rules incorrectly. Because, uh, <laughs> again, very difficult to follow this final card game. But they do specifically say he has a royal flush, which is the best hand you can get <laughs> in a poker unbeatable. game. And she draws like a, an ace to five uh, straight flush, I think. And then for some, she has some arbitrary reason that that she wins. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if that's right, which is not what I should be thinking about at the climax of your cyber thriller. (laughs) This is a weird house rule for train tracks in Italy. (laughs) Oh my God. All right. Well, you know, there's, there's one more movie that we're going to be covering this week. And, uh, it's, it's named after the question that Sean Glynis asks on every single first date he's ever been on, which is, do you like Hitchcock? Or as we say in Italia, uh, ti piace Hitchcock? Right? <laughs> that is how they say it. Yeah. That's, that's how they do it. That's, that's, <laughs> it. that's exactly it. Uh, so shit, Dario Argento made a TV movie, and 
I'm I'm not going to say it's good, but it's again, this is another one where it's this is a hundred times better than I remember it being in 2005. Same. Uh, really, I actually really enjoyed this. There's some elements of it that are absolutely inexplicable to me. Like Adam, <laughs> we were talking beforehand about the the prologue, um, which doesn't seem to fit in with anything. Uh, where he just finds two women slaughtering a chicken in a house as a child. He's a child, our protagonist, and he's peering in the window. And these two women who are witches or farmers i'm not um, entirely oh sure Lord, no L- little column a little column b and, and rest <laughs> assured if you were wondering if if this is like great footage that they wanted to include no it looks like he fucking no. carried a dv cam out into the woods it's fucking horrible looking <laughs> you're like what is happening and the the score at that point in the movie is just like the most like amateurish shit i'm like i don't understand what's happening it, it eventually goes away but that opening is like what the fuck am i watching the score definitely settles down this is another pino Donaccio score so like this man knows what he's doing um I, I yeah but it's it's a very weird opening um but this this is a really fun movie i actually really enjoyed this it is a tv movie so absolutely you have to calibrate your expectations accordingly now it's a european tv movie so there's still <laughs> Plenty yeah. of violence and more nudity than you would anticipate. Yeah, you get straight up Bush in the first eight minutes, just so you know. Because <laughs> it's Italian TV and, yeah. you know, what would you... You need something that's like a little stronger than the nudity in their commercials. So, you know, to remember what the main event is. But um, after that, it's just... It's it's obviously, as the title suggests, it's a mashup of a bunch of different Hitchcock movies. And it's just a very fun, silly kind of a film. It's about a film student... We're back to like an amateur sleuth where we're outside of law enforcement and he's kind of like it's a little bit of like psycho. There's a girl who stole money from clients at the bank and she's expecting some retaliation and there's strangers on a train because he kind of two women are going to swap murders. And then there's rear window because our protagonist is a pervert who just keeps spying on the women who live near him. Uh, and it all just culminates together into a, a grand adventure of uh, of murder and inept detective work. Um, honestly, like like you said, Steve, I, I did not like this movie when I watched it years ago. I really, really enjoyed it this time. It's actually pretty fun little thing to to kind of throw on if you if you're if you again calibrate your expectations accordingly. This looks like a TV movie, but <laughs> um, yeah. I never saw either of these movies back in the day. They lived in my mind as like, for some reason, like every time you'd rent a shitty horror movie, trailers for both of these, the card player and do you like Hitchcock always in front of like every cheapo horror movie you'd ever rent on DVD. It's just, that's what they've been in my mind for many years now. I used to taunt you with this movie (laughs) because we we had like the the Netflix, like mail by disc or or disc by mail uh, account. And you'd be like, oh, what do we got coming up next? And I'd be like, do you like Hitchcock? <laughs> be like, you better fucking move that back, cock. <laughs> You're missing so, out. Yeah. God, yeah, yes. Truly, we missed out, yeah. Formative stuff. This is this is great. Um, it's, it's probably a lot better than some of the things we watched, to be oh, completely I, honest. I'm so. entirely sure of that, but... Uh... Yeah, how many Ator films have you seen? <laughs> <laughs> Only four. Only how many are there? Four. Oh, more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I just try to be well-rounded with my set of my hair. That's all. That's... <laughs> 
but yeah so so my surprise with this one is it's mostly it's like it's it's mostly rear window it's our protagonist kind of just spying mm-hmm. on women and he he witnesses a murder and he becomes involved and it's it's but but it's kind of like partially because the script i guess is somewhat loosely plotted but he's it's basically he's just kind of like a pervert and there's a couple of like hot women who live near him and he just tries to like get involved in their lives by either spying on them or meeting them in the video store and just making grand leaps of logic essentially that two women kind of like mention that they're like going through you know like kind of tough times and they both rent strangers on the train and he's just like oh shit these ladies are gonna they're gonna swap murders that's what's going to happen here and it turns out he's actually correct which is uh, pretty pretty remarkable but i think that's actually one of the most interesting things about this film is because by the end of the film he's just spying on a dick he's just pretty much is like he's hailed as a hero he's caught a murderer he's prevented another murder so on and so forth and then he just starts spying on a different woman and the end credits roll and it's this really odd conclusion that i think Weirdly enough, put me in mind of Taxi Driver, which is not what I was <laughs> expecting. But in Taxi Driver, a lot of people forget that movie. It doesn't end with Travis Bickle like holding his little finger gun to his head with blood everywhere. It ends with like a shot of all these like newspaper clippings about how Travis Bickle is actually received as a hero for like rescuing uh, a girl from like a rescuing a child from a, a brothel and you know so on and so forth and like and then the the newspaper clippings become more and more about you know just like his fading popularity and his eventual just return to life and it's kind of the really chilling conclusion of that film is that travis bickle who we know from watching the movie is like a psycho basically yeah. has been claimed by society as a hero and then just kind of reintegrates into society without any actual <laughs> addressing of anything and it's a really fantastic uh, conclusion now i can't imagine two people more apart than paul schrader and dario argento in their uh, upbringings <laughs> and tendencies but it's kind uh, of interesting i mean the card player the card counter that's Need this I is true more? there's an amazing amazing <laughs> 2021 overlap here but i do think it's kind of interesting that do you like hitchcock ends with a character who has basically become a hero by mostly just ogling women through a telescope or through binoculars uh, and making like one random guess that turned out to be correct. And then he just starts looking at another woman and it's kind of like this dude is just, he's just a weird (laughs) little voyeur freak and he's just trying to insert himself into other women's lives. Meanwhile, he has a girlfriend that he keeps ignoring. Uh, He's really, (laughs) he's just a really shitty little dude. Uh, But it's kind of an interesting thing to find because... You know, Argento's movies and thrillers generally are all about voyeurism. Obviously, it's a huge part. We all, we just sit and we watch. And so, you know, what what's our culpability and so on. So it's just kind of like a really entertaining kind of a, a play on those things within this film that honestly, the guy is, he's not like a likable protagonist at all. And he's certainly not, I, you know, I don't think even Argento sees him as like, an, you know, a, a director surrogate or anything he's just kind of like a weedy little shithead who watches too many movies and can't stop looking into other people's windows um and i think that alone called you know kind of like really carries the movie along despite having very obvious budget shortfalls so much so that i think the grand action set piece of this is a guy being unable to ride a moped like that's the the big the big <laughs> the big chase scene is like an a, a kind of like out of breath dude breathlessly running after a guy on a moped he can't get onto 
and that occurs that that continues for longer than you would expect i think it's actually a really funny set piece it's like just two people not going fast mm-hmm. and not quite able to catch each other um but it's also exactly <laughs> the kind of set piece you would put together when you don't have a lot of money so you can't like close down a street or multiple streets and zoom around through you've got one street that you can kind of shut down and by the time you start at a and get to b if everyone falls over enough and puffs and pants it works out it's it's still a sequence or perhaps you have to hit a certain uh, time mm-hmm. requirement which is uh, <laughs> it's how i feel You're a little more movie. cynical yeah. about this than than i am adam Frankly, this feels like it could be like a great one hour, like little fun Hitchcock homage thing. Instead, it's 93 minutes. And there are points in this where I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> just cut this the fuck out. The intro. I don't know. And a lot of these big set, like tension set pieces to me, uh, they, they went past tension. And I was like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, he's getting drowned <laughs> in a bathtub for like fucking five minutes. I'm like, enough with this. Good that one feels uh, that that uh, and uh, I may be reaching and I may be trying to defend Hitch or defend Argento too much, but I that one reminds me a little bit of um, which Hitchcock is it Topaz? It's one of the lesser watched Hitchcocks, but there's one where um, they're trying to strangle a guy or kill a guy, and it takes forever. And it was like Hitchcock's like joke about how. It's actually pretty difficult to kill someone with your bare hands. Like, if you want to do that, that's actually, it's like a pretty physical ordeal. uh, As compared to, like, in, you know, James Bond movies where you, like, turn a man's head roughly and he just drops over dead. So maybe it's another kind of a nod towards Hitchcock. Or maybe he is absolutely just trying to satisfy a 90-minute tv window uh, not, um, neither answer would surprise me and neither makes it really more enjoyable to watch some of those sequences for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fair well, guys I'm, I'm gonna sell you in on my uh my american remake okay so it's called do you like devito and it's uh it's it's based on the logic of throw mama from the train instead of strangers on a train what do you think of that uh, it works since that's basically the same movie. <laughs> same movie, <laughs> the exact same movie. <laughs> but you've got you've got a CGI recreated Anne Ramsey going Owen. <laughs> it it also works because most television is awful. So why would this be worse? <laughs> there you go. Oh man. Um. All right. Well, we got to wrap things up, boys. So, uh, Jack, what are you putting over this week? Oh, that's a that's a great question that I wasn't even the slightest bit prepared for. So it's fun because you guys are never prepared for this question, and yet I ask the question every single week. I know, but I want I want to I want to put over something that makes me look cool. Oh, uh, what's the what's the best weird porn that you watched? You know, I'm short on that. You know, you know what I'm gonna put over because it's it's actually really good, and I was really happy. I saw it on I saw it on the big screen for the first time. And it just got released mm-hmm. from Blu-ray is uh, Arabato, uh, which is a Spanish film from 1979 directed by Ivan Zulueta. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Doesn't matter. Um, it's it's basic. It's super cool. Uh, it's a really great movie about a filmmaker uh, who's kind of like into drugs, and he hooks up with his other filmmaker who has like weird vampiric tendencies. But it's basically like a really surreal movie about addiction filtered through filmmaking as an addictive process. 
it's really weird, really unsettling. The conclusion is an all-timer as far as I'm concerned. And it just got released on Blu-ray in the US by Altered Innocence, which are one of Vinegar Syndrome's partner labels. Um, and they specialize in like uh, kind of LGBT cinema, which this kind of tangentially slots into, um, you know. So it's less overt than uh, Equation to an Unknown, which is like overt hardcore gay pornography or their Fred Halstead collection, which is also hardcore gay <laughs> pornography. Uh, this is not hardcore gay pornography, but it, there's, yeah, but there's, there's still certainly a, a, a homoerotic overtone to it. Really cool film, utterly unclassifiable. It's kind of like it's a horror and a thriller and a drama and an experimental movie, all kind of rolling over each other pedro moldavar says it's amazing he's correct so uh, arabato known as rapture in s sometimes it goes by the english translation check that out it's fantastic now yeah, that's that's a good one myros what are you putting over this week you know i i don't need to sound cool i've just been studying a lot man i i haven't watched anything that remarkable lately but uh you know, uh, the new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm is, is coming out. That's uh, quite good so far. I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's done a lot of things I kind of had on my, my wish list for the new season. You got some Richard Lewis, uh, despite the fact that his health seemed to make him unavailable. And, uh, yeah, you got uh, Albert Brooks, too, which was a big one. I was hoping they'd, they'd be able to get him at some point after uh, Bob Einstein died. And uh, that was exciting to see. It's been... Uh, a lot of fun, maybe tangentially related to this episode, because for some reason, Larry David thought it would be wise to address the uh, H.R. Argento uh, right. allegations in an episode <laughs> for some reason. It also overlaps with the card player, because one of the most recent episodes had an angry Irish guy, which... Oh, yeah, very you know, true. So there you go. So Irish guys showing up everywhere. Uh, yeah, watch Perfect. watch Curb. It's... Uh, you know, it's still coming out, but uh, you can catch up. It's pretty easy to do, and it's a good time. Uh, still still going strong. There you go. All right. Well, you know, we're, we're getting close to Christmas, and I figured I'd put over the greatest Christmas movie of all time. So, Jingle All the Way. Why haven't you watched it yet? It's available on Amazon on Blu-ray for $6.99, which is a wonderful price. And that includes the extended cut. So you can see the director's full vision for Jingle All the Way, which is something you're lacking in your life. Phil Hartman is amazing. Sinbad is amazing. This is a transcendent film. This is, it's, it's the Citizen Kane of holiday movies. Let's Steve, be honest with ourselves. Steve, do you know that I own the novelization of Jingle All the Way somehow? <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know that. But now I respect you more. <laughs> Thank you. Not read it yet. It's a novelization. It feels like it's like a hundred pages, but it, it is definitely a book of Jingle All the Way. So yeah, we sometimes. I, I, I hope the uh, the classic "Put that cookie down" line <laughs> makes it in because I will do some research. I, I watch it every year. I, I watched it again last night. It is a fucking banger. Like it it does not disappoint. Uh, Arnold's great. His his. Comedic timing is so good, so underrated. Uh, Sinbad is is lovely. Some cops get blown up by a mail bomb. That's fucking cool. When is that not cool? It's always cool. So yeah, jingle all the way. Fucking get hip to it, man. If you want to impress women, 
if if your holiday wish is to you know sleep with more hot chicks what do women love more than jingle all the way jack can you think of anything uh, maybe maybe hitchcock but beyond yeah, that maybe. yeah yeah i mean you know what they say they say women be shopping and watching jingle all the way so something keep in mind this holiday season jingle all the way is fucking phenomenal other than that hey you can give us money did you know that we have a patreon there's a link in the description of this podcast you're listening to right now and you can give us your cold hard cash and you know maybe uh you want to give us enough money so you get a shout out on the air so you could be the next uh sophie the next dustin or uh who knows the next paula that could be you that could be you you could also give enough money so you can tell us what to watch. And this is a dangerous proposition because I feel like people want to hurt us. Okay. And I, I believe that in my heart of hearts. So yeah, if, if you are like, Hey, you guys missed out on four uh, Stuart Paul movies that you never got around to. Sure. That's, that's correct. Uh, we're not going to watch them unless you pay us enough money to watch them. I've already been approached by people who've been tried to, you know, pay us like prostitutes to, to watch movies. No, you got to go to the Patreon. Also, if you uh, subscribe to our Patreon at any level, whether it's uh, $3, $5, $20, whatever it is, I'm going to personally send you a movie from my collection in the mail, assuming you live in the continental United States, because, I, I mean, what am I going to fucking send a movie to Guam? I can't fuck with that. No. So, uh, yeah, you might get a Blu-ray, you might get a DVD, you might get a box set, you might get a Laserdisc. The, the world is, really, it's, it's completely open here. You can get anything at all. But you're going to get something. So, uh, which reminds me, Myros, we got to talk after this. I got I to gotta send out a movie, I think. Ooh, see what somebody gets. Yeah, see what somebody gets. Something real fucking weird, I'm sure. Uh, other than that, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals... Uh, at optimism vaccine on twitter.com or you can email us optimism vaccine at gmail.com and i think that just about sums it up so myros i'm gonna give you the last word uh merry christmas that's some bullshit <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what happens All when right. you give me the last word don't fucking hoist that Yo, shit on uh, me smokers cough merry christmas <laughs> <laughs>